When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, welcome to another great episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I've got an outstanding guest for you today, uh, Dr. Dustin Keller. Uh, Dr. Keller is a licensed professional counselor, mental health service provider, and national certified counselor who serves as vice president of clinical strategy for the Pathways at Work program. He regularly conducts training workshops on various issues, including leadership development, employee and personal motivation, mental health, children and youth, and suicide prevention. He received his Ph.D. in psychology from North Central University and currently resides in one of my favorite cities uh, in America, Nashville, Tennessee. Dustin, thanks for being with us today. Hey, thanks, Earl. Excited to be here and excited to talk to your folks about responsible leaders and mental health. Yeah, no, this is a great and timely topic, and I think we're going to hit on a lot of stuff here today. But let me go ahead and start you off where I, I do start off all of my guests when you hear, especially with your background, I can't wait to hear this answer. When you hear the phrase responsible leadership, what does that mean to you? You know, Earl, I, th- th- that's a great question. I think if you if you think back 50 years ago about what we thought a responsible leader should do or should be, predominantly it was about budgets and schedules. Keep people coming in when they're supposed to be in to make sure we're meeting the customer's needs and stay within the budget. Don't spend too much. Bring in revenue. That's kind of what we thought a leader should do or a responsible leader should do. But in, in 2022, especially after two years of a pandemic, there's a there's so much more that responsible leadership means now. It's about taking good care of your team taking good care of your people, being there for your people, understanding that they can't leave their personal life at the door and they don't leave their work life, you know, at the door when they go home either. They're a whole person and we need to look at holistic care, holistic safety, whether you're in a construction or blue collar industry or, um, you know, you're, you're in an office setting. There's, 
they come with with who they are and we want them to come ready to work and so to do that we have to understand that 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 we get the whole package we get all they are and a responsible leader understands that and is able to provide the skills and the tools and the resources to be able to help that person take care of the whole self mm. No, I love that. I, I love everything you just said there. And, and uh, my listeners have probably heard me say some variations of that throughout the uh, throughout this podcast, because, you know, I, I especially love that piece about, you know, they're not being this clear cut wall anymore between work and home life. We're more connected than we've ever been. We're, we're more intermingled with throughout our life. And and I spent a lot of time trying to get leaders to really understand what you do at work affects that person at home just as much as that home life affects that person at work. And I'm really curious, like how successful have you been uh, getting leaders in organizations to really grasp that concept of what I do at work matters outside of the four walls of this building? I think a great example, Earl, is um, Terracon. Uh, we at Pathways at Work, we work with Terracon and, and their CEO, Gail uh, Packer. Um, she She's clearly an example to me of a modern day responsible leader. She gets that for her folks who are out on the job site day in and day out, that safety is a huge, important part of what they do. And it's not just physical safety. It's not just hard hats and hoist and and um straps. It's it's things such as making sure that they are clear mind and clear headed and that they're paying attention um, in, in in all of those kind of industries. So it certainly means that, you know, we, we look at the total picture and we make sure that when someone comes in to work, if they're distracted because their partner or their spouse had a fight that morning, they're going to be thinking about that all day. And if they're driving around for you as an employer, you don't want them distracted. You want them focused. You want them to get from point A to point B without hurting themselves or others. And so it, it's about recognizing those things. And it's about having supervisors who feel empowered enough to ask questions and to help their team to, to talk with them and be able to say, hey, take this time to go, you know, deal with that or manage that. Because when you come back, I want, you know, I want you here on the job site ready to work. You know, I, I love that example, and, and I love the fact that you kind of let off with, you know, safety harnesses and things like that. And, and I've shared this story once or twice on, on the show before, but uh, a few years back, I had the privilege of taking a tour of uh, uh, the Subaru plant over in West Lafayette, Indiana. And uh, as we're going through the plant, um, I hear this very stereotypical kind of Japanese-sounding music start playing. And, you know, the first time I heard it, I, I just, you know, didn't think anything of it. I'm in a Subaru plant. But as we go around, I, I hear this thing go off a couple more times. And I finally asked, it was actually the safety officer who was given uh, the tour. And, and I, I finally asked her, I said, what, what does that chime mean? And very calm, very cool. She says, oh, something's wrong with the equipment. And I said, but that means something's wrong. Cause you know, we're used to hearing like in a factory, you know, there's a big light that goes off and a harsh, you know, uh, uh, uh. and I asked her that question. Right. And, and she said kind of along the lines of what you were just talking about. She says, look, what we found out is when we have that harsh reactionary sound, we, we heighten people's uh, mental stress. We heighten their physical stress and they're more likely to make a, a uh, injurious uh, likely, decision 
versus this nice gentle sound that lets everybody stay calm and be able to react in a nice peaceful way and make better decisions and i'm sitting here thinking that's just next level thinking right there right that's exactly right i think you know it, it it's 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 sometimes it's just that easy to control the starter reflex to help people deal with their stress and anxiety in different ways you know at pathways at work one of the things that that we pride ourselves in is being able to go into a company and talk with them about their team and talk about what their team might need uh, you know what what the needs might be when we work with hr professionals and we talk with them about the struggles that they see that the team has been dealing with and i i, I do want to give a shout out to hr professionals because I do think that during the pandemic, you know, they've become the the front line in some some respects. They've had to manage testing. They've had to manage um, vaccination reports and, and all of those kind of things. They've also had to manage quarantines and people being off. And so they more so than ever, they've heard, you know, what's really happening with the team on the ground and what the team is truly struggling with. So, you know, so we talk with some of them about comp- compassion fatigue, where they just keep giving of themselves and their emotions and, and they just can't do it anymore because they're holding on to it and it's causing them stress and anxiety. But, but we like to go in and we like to do custom customized training. Because if I can help teach your folks simple ways to breathe or to do something different or to take a two-minute break to help lower their, their stress and their anxiety, we get a much calmer workforce. Plus, we get better communication, better collaboration. We get less time off. Um, all the things that, you know, that simple, you know, melodic sound that you heard kept them from getting startled and maybe throwing a tool and hitting somebody else in the head or whatever that might have led to. Right. Um, the same thing is true. If I can just get someone to take a few seconds and deal with their stress and anxiety, whether it's, you know, getting up in physical movement, all the things that we might teach, um, it really can make the workday better and make your employee happier to be what doing what they're doing. Yeah. And, and I like, again, that you, you honed in on, on simple, like, you know, the breathing piece. I, I remember the first time I ran into that was when I was in Marine Corps boot camp uh, on the rifle range. And our primary marksmanship instructor introduced us to, uh, you know, it goes by a bunch of different names, uh, tactical breathing, uh, square breathing, you know, that sort of stuff. But the, you know, inhale for four seconds, hold it for four seconds, exhale. And it is really amazing how quickly just that simple breathing exercise can can kind of take you from way up here to, you know, bring you kind of back to maybe not all the way down to quote unquote normal, but but breathing is huge, isn't it? It yes, it, it it's the foundation for everything we can do to help start to control our emotions. When we, you know, when you take those deep breaths and you hold them, it allows your blood to to get fully oxygenated, which means we get uh, more oxygenated blood to the brain. And when when we do that, it helps pull our brain waves down into sort of the alpha level, which is right about where you're where you're starting to want to go to sleep. That that sort of calm feeling when you're when you feel like that you're about to drift off. When you take those breaths, it oxygen the brain and gives us that sensation. So it is extraordinarily calming and just getting people to realize when they're amped up. I think that's the other piece to this is when we do these training sessions, we start by teaching them what stress looks like, because a lot of times you might be having headaches and, and all these allergies being from Tennessee and being in Nashville. You know, if you don't like the weather, stay around, it'll change very quickly. And so we get lots of allergies and um, those kind of things. And so people think, oh, it's just my allergies. 
Well, it also could be stress. Stress reduces the immune system. It keeps our nervous system in a heightened awareness, sort of that fight, flight, or freeze idea. Um, and the more we stay there, you know, it can lead to stomach issues, headaches, um, you know, a poor immune system, all of those kind of things. And so if we can get you to calm it down, then your body will do the natural things to start repairing your muscles and build back your immune system. It's just the science of it all is just fascinating to me about how simple it can be. Yeah. And, and, and I think you just nailed it right there. Most people don't really realize, you know, they, they understand some of the classic symptoms of stress, you know, uh, you know, the, the high anxiety and, 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 you know, grinding of teeth and things like that. But, you know, I think people severely underestimate, and, and, and I'm curious if this is your experiences as well, but people severely underestimate how many different impacts stress can have uh, on your life in general, but especially medically, right? Yes, definitely. You know, we know that there are sort of compounding things that happen when we have co-occurring disorders. Um, I, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm, I'm more on the psychology side, but, but we understand the link between things like depression and diabetes and heart disease that if, if you're diabetic, um, that can lead to depression. Well, that depression is going to fuel the diabetes. So it's sort of like, uh, it's a double whammy in some aspects. And so there's lots of things like that that coexist together that can wreak havoc for, for the other condition. And so it's important that we, we keep both under control. Um, you know, lots of people have issues sleeping and they may not realize that sleep is is really affected by stress and anxiety when we when we work with businesses and we really start to do these sessions we like to start with stress and anxiety because we feel like it's very foundational to what we all experience we can all um, identify with some type of stress and anxiety at some point in our life and so by teaching how to recognize it and then manage it everything else that we're going to teach will dovetail nicely into that if you understand the foundation so when we get into like work-life balance or burnout or even as, as we've mentioned with depression or or uh, insomnia or even loneliness and isolation which is one that we did a lot during the pandemic especially as folks were working from home and not feeling as physically connected to their to their coworkers or their friends or their family really digging into those types of issues can really make an, a huge impact on your life and and even affect those physical things that you don't you don't realize are connected yeah no and and again i i, I like where you're going with all that and and that that tie in again back to to work business and leadership um, I was trying to find it here real quick while you were talking, but I, I can't find the article now, but it just popped up on my screen just a couple of days ago. Maybe, you know, the exact number on this, but, um, there was a fairly recent study that came out that said that, um, the respondents identified something. I want to say it was as much as 80% of their life stress to work related issues. That's correct. And I think, you know, one of the things we've seen throughout the pandemic is I think we're all trying to, we've had these emotions and we're trying to figure out where these emotions are coming from. I'm a huge believer in, in grief and the stages of grief where you, you kind of are in denial at the very beginning, or most of us are. You can go through the stages differently and we do sessions around um, grief and, and loss and how to manage. Um, but, but I really think that the pandemic was a great lesson in grief. Over the last two years, when we first started this, we were kind of, we were all hunkering down. We were in this together and we were sort of maybe in denial. As things wore on, we got into this place of bargaining. We got into this place of, of anger at some points about the, the pandemic. 
And we also, we got into this depressed state, you know, lots of research around sort of this, the, the next wave of the pandemic was going to be a mental health pandemic. Lots of people were struggling with low grade or even, you know, even, you know, more serious depression. And now what I think we're in is we've got to hit this place of acceptance. We lost certain things during the pandemic and we've got to get to a place where we're okay with it. But moreover than not, when we were at home and, and like I worked at home myself and my wife was there and now my son is seven, but at the beginning of this, he was five and then six. Um, he was at home with us for a period of time. And I felt really bad that while I'm having to work, he's, he, you know, no one is able to really entertain him or, or teach him or work with him. So he'd spend lots of time, you know, self-play and, and doing things on his own. And so I'd feel bad about that. Well, I started to blame work for that. And the truth is, if he'd been at school and I'd been at work, I would have never felt that way. But during the pandemic, we seem to have blurred these lines of everything that's going wrong for us, we attribute to work. And so it's important that when we're dealing with burnout or, or these extreme feelings of depression or anger, um, that we place it where it should be placed. And, and for me, I feel like that's largely on the pandemic and things that were outside of our control. And so we're seeing this great resignation right now where lots of people are changing jobs. And what the initial reports uh, of that are showing is that they're not getting the relief they thought they were gonna get when by switching jobs. And so it may not be work, it might be the pandemic. And these are all of the kind of things, all the things that we're talking about. When we when we come and work with a with a company, we can help teach sessions on this, help help your employees understand what they might be feeling and, and help teach some give them some resources and tools while they're on on the session to be able to help manage some of these things. And again, much like we talked about with breathing, there's lots of ways we can help people ferret out what they're really struggling with and, and what might help them to improve it. Well, you hit on a lot there that, that I think is becoming extremely relevant right now as, as, you know, you mentioned the great resignation, but, you know, we're finally starting to see, you know, some signs of, uh, and I, I, I've gotten in a habit of using air quotes with normal anymore because what is normal, right? Um, That's right. But as we start seeing kind of some of these COVID numbers start to improve a little bit, and even though infection rates are up, you know, they're not as, uh, the, 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 um, the effects of getting COVID aren't as bad as they were in the beginning and all those things, people are starting to open up. People are starting to think about reintegrating and, and how they're going to bring people back to work, if they're going to bring people back to work. And, you know, on the outside looking in, to me, it seems like, we're getting ready to give all of those folks that went through all of that type of mental stress and anguish and, and coming up with balance. Uh, you know, maybe there's going to be a little bit of whiplash as we go from, Hey, we came to this. Now we're getting back to normal. And, and that's probably going to be maybe even a little worse than the initial effects. Right. Yes, sir. I, th I think there's a lot that can happen. And, and what we're seeing is um, and, and much of the research is call it pandemic languishing. There are things that I think lots of us liked about the pandemic and working from home. I also think a large majority of us want to get back out there. Um, there's lots of jokes and memes about in, uh, introverts and, and, and they fully enjoyed the pandemic. But I think, you know, overall, we need uh, a sense of love and belonging. You know, psychologists, uh, we've, we've talked about that for, for hundreds of years. Um, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You, know, you, you want that love and belonging. Um, we're all searching for that. 
And so I think we want to get back out there. We want to go to concerts and we want to go to sporting events and, and all of those kind of things. But we liked some of this idea of hunkering down at home. And so we're sort of in this weird place of we want our cake and we want to eat it too. And, and we're not we're not able to do that. I think lots of companies are working with their employees to find sort of a happy medium and giving some some greater flexibility with work from home options. Um, I don't think completely working from home is the answer in most cases. Lots of people still need that relatedness and ways to work in physical closeness with their with their counterparts. That's part of the reason that they come to a job and stay at a job is they are they feel related to it. They feel connected to the purpose. And so when people leave, it's usually because they don't like the folks they're working with or they don't like their supervisor. And so, you know, back to that idea of responsible leadership, being a responsible leader is understanding that if if you have a bad, you know, a bad actor on the team that's creating a toxic work environment, if you allow them to hang around, other people are going to begin to leave. And unfortunately, they're going to blame the leader because the leader didn't take care of the team culture and the team dynamic. And so as we get back out there and go back in, you know, we've got to be mindful especially as leaders, that folks are going to be coming with these sort of mixed emotions. And yeah, they may reacclimate quickly in some cases and in, some, in others they may not. But we've got to be ready to have some of these conversations, teach them how to deal with this stress and anxiety, call it out in a lot of cases. Once people understand what's happening, they're better able to cope and manage. And so being a responsible leader means understanding that that when my people come back into the office, it's not just going to be a party and with cake and balloons and, and whatever it, you know, there's still going to be the stress and, and, and the anxiety of it all. In, in some cases, Earl, I, I would tell you, we've forgotten how to interact in person. We've worked with some companies where people would show up dressed inappropriately. We see, we see, um, you know, personality clashes and conflicts. Some of the things we really haven't had to struggle with in the last couple of years being remote. When you come back to the office, now you're back to personality clashes. And so we see uh, workplace conflict on the rise. All of these things are, are things that, that we can help manage and deal with. Yeah, no, and and you actually were going right where I was. I was going to kind of ask about next because you know I I think that there's going to be some kind of uh, uh, generational divides with that, right? So, uh, you know, maybe Gen Xers and whatnot are going to be like, oh yeah, we really want to get back. We need those skills, but maybe some, you know, and maybe millennials to an extent, but millennials and and Gen Zers and. Uh, they're, they're really a little bit more used to connecting through, you know, Facebook live and social media and online video games. And, and they may be really like, Hey, I want to, you know, I want to stay working from home. I, I thrive better that way because they're used to connecting like that. And, and that's going to be a big thing for leaders to really navigate are those generational impacts of this, right? Totally. I agree. I do think that they're definitely, you know, and we certainly would have talked about this if we were in the early days of the pandemic about the generational differences of people working from home. You know, if we look at, you know, the independent generation or what we might call the boomers um, or even uh, Gen Xers, you know, some of some of us, some of them weren't ready to go home with the technology uh, difficulties and, and trying to connect to home Internet and those types of things. And then, you know, as you mentioned, the millennials and the Gen Z's, you know, they're they're ready for that. They're, they're used to that. But I think, you know, much much like we would talk about with any generational um, 
kind of conversation, we got to just make sure that we're meeting their needs, whether it's at home or at the office. You know, with millennials and Gen Gen Zs, I think the great thing that they've taught us is that we all have a stake in this and we all want a seat at the table when we're discussing important issues or have creative ideas. We all want that sort of input. We're no longer willing to accept that this group makes the decisions and we just live by them. And so I think that's another thing for responsible leaders to understand is ways to to make sure that um, we're getting the larger majority of people invested and involved and, and feel like that they have some, some autonomy in what they're doing. I mean, I'm a huge person. I, I love motivation and love to talk about how do we motivate a team and how do we move a team forward. Um, and I believe that, you know, it starts with autonomy, mastery and purpose, and then that relatedness that I mentioned. So it's sort of like ramping your team up, but we want them to be autonomous, we want to help them master the topic or the subject or, or the environment. So making sure we're giving feedback and training and all of those kind of things and then tapping into that inner purpose. And a lot of that we lose by being completely remote. If we don't focus on it, you know, intentionally helping them stoke that purpose flame. Why do you do what you do and why do you do it here at this company? Because you can, you know, a lot of people would say, I'm, I'm doing what I do because I want to make a difference in someone's life. And you can do that as a first responder working in the medical field or the mental health field. You can do that being a real estate agent or, you know, being in the construction industries we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, real estate agents help people get into their first home or find their forever home. Construction agencies build new things and, and help help people that way. And obviously, if you work in the medical field or mental health field, you're improving lives um, that way. But so it's really tapping deeper than that. It's going deeper than that. And it's talking about why do you do it here? What's the reasons that you do it for this company? And we can certainly help with that. You know, in our trainings, we do some leadership training and supervisor training around emotional intelligence and emotional competence and culture building for a company. So they're, they're constantly tapping into the things that's going to help motivate the team and move them forward. Wow. Yeah. No, I, I, again, I love all of that there. And, and, um, you know, you said, you said a lot there, but that, that purpose piece is a thing that really kind of stuck out to me because, uh, you know, we mentioned, uh, in your bio that, uh, you know, you do work with suicide prevention and, you know, being a, a Marine Corps veteran myself, uh, you know, the, the 22 a day veteran suicide epidemic, but, you know, also this kind of, uh, flaring up, uh, teen suicide epidemic that is, is coming along. A lot of it really boils down to that word purpose, right? In some sense, yes. And so, you know, when we when we talk about suicide prevention or, or talk about suicide in general, you know, there's there's a lot of a myths out there about why people would decide to end their life. And certainly I, I believe that they're struggling with depression or another mental illness uh, and can't seem to get past that emotional pain. And certainly if someone's listening and has, has felt that or is currently feeling that there are resources available, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline would love to talk to you and, and figure out resources to help you get over the hump. <clears throat> but yes, um, when, when we start talking about those kind of stronger emotions, um, we want to help people reconnect to their purpose and what their purpose is in life and, and where they go from here. You know, the research shows us that when people are, are struggling with that decision, that they're sort of, they, you know, there's some ambivalence there. They have reasons they want to live, but 
the pain is so great or or the the mountain is too high to climb that they just don't see a way out and so it's important that they connect with others you know like like a, like me a mental health guy um, to have a conversation and, and talk about ways that they re can really overcome that pain and and we we can we can talk with companies about that as well especially even if they've unfortunately experienced a recent uh, suicide amongst their team we we can talk about ways to help the rest of the team help identify others that might be struggling because i do know as you mentioned earl you know veterans uh, middle-aged men uh, teens it's the second leading cause of death for ages 10 to 24. Um, we see the most suicides happen among middle-aged men and um, you know that th there's hope there's help and and a, and a growing community of folks out there uh, in in the United States to help folks in this situation. Yeah, no, well said, well said. That's that's you know I'm by by far no expert, especially in the level that you are. But that's one thing I really do try to stress when I'm doing leadership training too is is this concept of of moral injuries and how not taking responsibility of the leadership, not providing, as you mentioned, uh, not only a physically but emotionally and psychologically safe environment where you know. Uh, I'm just going to go down some lists here where, you know, uh, homophobic uh, jokes are not welcome, where people aren't discriminated against, where, uh, you know, people aren't being made to feel less than. And if it happens, a leader doesn't step in and, and set the tone correct and and put people kind of on this path of feeling less than and, and worthless and, and that they've been violated. I mean, all that kind of is this triggering cascading effect that can ultimately lead to some of that suicidal ideation and and again, it goes back to what we said earlier in the conversation is is really getting leaders to to understand how much their their leadership at work impacts not just the people around them, but it, it really is a ripple effect out. Uh, you know, you treat the husband poorly and they get in road rage on the way home and then they, you know, flip somebody off and then that person is in a bad mood and they're going to go and, 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 and it just is this whole butterfly effect thing that can happen just by not taking the responsibilities of leadership and these mental health aspects seriously. Right. Yes. I, I love that. I love that uh, analogy of emotional injuries. I may have to steal that uh, if you don't mind. Um, I, I like that, that idea. Um, but, but you're exactly right. I think, you know, I, I learned very early on in my career that, you know, we tend to ridicule or um, make fun of or talk about things we don't understand. Once we begin to understand them or get to know uh, more about the topic, we become more empathetic. We become more empathetic about what that person might be struggling with or going through or who they are. We understand more about what the situation is. And so, you know, I would just challenge your listeners that if you're struggling with those types of issues, if you're struggling with understanding gender identity or race relations or social justice, you know, do, do read educate yourself because that's how we shed light on um, making a better place, making a better world and a better community. Um, but if you are struggling with those emotional injuries, you know, there's ways to, there's a whole community of folks. I think that's one of the greatest things about the internet is we can connect people who are struggling with similar ideas together to support each other. Um, we can also find some very negative things out there as well, but, but what we can connect groups across, you know, continents to talk about how they're struggling with whatever that issue might be and, and finding out what, 
what they're each doing to help cope and help manage. Um, just like Pathways at Work coming in and, and helping provide a structure for businesses to have uh, a mental health wellness or well-being program by doing these customized trainings. We can come in and teach these skills and then help help your leaders come together as a community and have safe space discussions and conversations so that they can overcome some of these issues and help build a more productive, harmonious culture at work. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> again, I, I keep saying it, but it's true. I'm loving everything you're saying here. And uh, I, I want to kind of talk a little bit because, you know, these aren't just things that you're sitting over here, uh, Dustin, and just kind of pulling out of thin air. Uh, pathways, uh, pathways at work, you all do a, what is it called here? Uh, a report on employee mental health, uh, survey every, every year, right? We do. Yes, sir. Um, and, and part of this comes from working with, with the companies that we're fortunate to work with and, and surveying their, their employee base, uh, as well as others that will just allow us to do the survey so that we get a, a good picture of kind of what's going on you know, cross sectors uh, in employment. And, and what we find is by and large, you know, we're all struggling with the same things. No matter where we work or how we work, we all are struggling with stress and anxiety. And throughout the course of the pandemic, certain things, about, as, I, as I've mentioned already, have sort of changed. But work-life balance and burnout was high. Depression is high. Conflicts at work has gone back up. Insomnia was a big struggle for some. Loneliness and isolation is others. Team trust, trying to build team trust remotely. You know, if we think about the statistics of, of the great resignation where somewhere between, I've seen 50% of the workforce has changed jobs, especially in the white collar um, fields, uh, upwards to maybe 80% have changed jobs and um, over the course of the last two years. For a lot of folks, if you, if you went remote in March of 2020, and you're now just coming back into an office-based setting. I have to be careful. You can't call it back to work because these folks have been working throughout the last two years. So they're just coming back to the physical location. Right. But if you're doing that, what we find is lots of these people didn't start out working in the office. They don't know where the copier is. I mean, it's just basic things about making sure they understand the layout of the office, who gets what office. And you might be coming back and you've sit here next to your coworker for the last 10 years. That coworker has left and there's a new person there. So there's just, it's, it's sort of like starting school over again uh, or going to a new school or a new place of work, even if you didn't change jobs, because a large percentage of folks have, have switched and they did so during the pandemic. So we're meeting new people for the first time. Um, it's, it's all of those things. And sometimes we, you know, meet myself as a leader. I'm, I was ready to get back into the office. And I just didn't, you know, until I did the research and really dug in, you just, those are things that you don't think about and you might miss. Yeah, no, that is a great point because, you know, you mentioned human resources uh, before. I've had some uh, human resources folks on here, uh, you know, in the past uh, several months. And, and one of the things that they were talking about, especially with uh, like Silicon Valley and uh, like New York based jobs, these high price markets, one of the things they did intentionally uh, because of the forced remote work was they started recruiting in places that they normally wouldn't before. So, you know, one example that they used was, you know, like Google report, uh, recruiting coders, you know, from say Jackson, Mississippi, because before they couldn't get those people to come out there because they couldn't afford to live because of the cost of living. Well, now, you know, th those folks, uh, <laughs> you know, might, 
depending on the decisions like a Google makes, they might be forced to, hey, you're going to have to change jobs or move from Jackson, Mississippi to to California. And, and yeah, it's just it's it's everywhere we turn. There's just another layer being added onto the complexities of of work life balance, isn't there? Yes, sir. And I think we're seeing, you know, we saw lots of people during the pandemic move to um, other locations. So like they were leaving Silicon Valley and moving all around the country. Um, but to your point, I think it's not only um, whether or not we ask that that person from Jackson, Mississippi to move, um, but we're now dealing with, you know, sort of a different type of culture or a different type of environment um, where they're not all in, in Silicon Valley or they're not all in this one location and they're spread out. And so we, you know, now we have time change differences that we have to work around. We have lifestyle culture. I mean, we, we may not realize it in this country, but, you know, we, we have our own little culture in the South versus the, you know, the, the Northwest or the, you know, the, the, the Midwest or, or out, out east, you know, we we, we all kind of live differently. The pace of life is a little different. We speak differently, uh, in some sense. You know, in Tennessee, we'll 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 welcome all of y'all to come and and be here. So we, you know, um, so so there's those kind of just cultural and communication differences sometimes that we're not prepared for. When everybody's working in the same environment, we sort of we sort of see them start to to piece together. But in these situations, more so now than ever. Um, we're learning how to how to deal with um, different people. And and I think that's the beauty. We talked about, you know, cultural and, and, and racial types of things. And I think, you know, now more so than ever, businesses have to be ready to do the training, do the hard work. It's 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 not easy to have some of these discussions and talk about the things that need to change and how we might work differently uh, and help people understand that we're all in this together and we're all going to work together um, and we're going to meet those needs wherever they are. Yeah, no, I, I like that. And you are a hundred percent right. I remember. Uh, so my wife is from Northern Michigan and uh, when we moved back, so, you know, for, for listeners, they should know, but if they don't, I'm originally from Northeast Tennessee, uh, but now I live outside of Indianapolis, but we get down to Nashville quite a bit. We're big Preds fans and like to check uh, tech in a game once or twice a year. Uh, but the first time that we went down there, um, I remember my wife wanted to grab something from the grocery store and, uh, you know, we get on there in line and look up where the closest Publix was and it didn't open until 8 a.m. And she's like, what is this? Like, they're not 24 hours. I'm like, no, that's, <laughs> it's not a Southern thing, really. <laughs> Unless you're Walmart, not much is open 24 hours. That's uh, right. And now even Walmart in, in some places isn't, isn't open 24 hours, but yeah. Welcome to Nash Vegas. <laughs> right. I love it. Um, so kind of going back here to this report y'all do, cause I want to, I'm going to link, uh, to this, uh, this article that, that you wrote, uh, back in November of 21 titled, 30 plus employee mental health statistics that every business leader should keep in mind for 2022. And I think these are phenomenal statistics. So listeners, I'm going to highly encourage you to click on the link in the show notes and go read this. Uh, but I'm just going to pick a couple here because, uh, you know, we're, we're coming up on time, but, um, I'm going to ask this first one in kind of two parts, right? So in, in the employee burnout statistics, uh, you cite, uh, from McKinsey and company, um, Excuse me. No, this is from Robert Half. Forty-four uh, percent of employees say they are more burned out on the job today than a year ago. So, two questions with that: one, like, how do you quote define burnout? And then, forty-four uh, percent—if I'm looking at the timing on this right—so this was 
all during the pandemic that they got, quote, more burnt out on the job than a year ago. So what were some of the triggering factors with getting more burnt out on the job uh, with remote work? So I think those are great questions. I think first up is understanding burnout. You know, stress and anxiety is a part of everyday life, as we've talked about. We all have some measure of stress and anxiety. And there's sort of a threshold, though, much like anything that that we deal with, the more that you get and the higher it goes, once it kind of hits a threshold, we're starting to lead into this area of burnout. And burnout goes through stages where you, you um, are trying to do more with less resources because burnout functionally is you know, too much stress with inadequate resources. I can't do what I need to do to bring down my stress. And during the pandemic, you know, we did, we weren't able to do the normal self-care kinds of things that we would typically do. You know, if you're stressed, um, you might go out to dinner with friends or family. You might go to a concert. You might go just walk around a store. Um, I love to target clearance shop. Um, you know, <laughs> go do that. So you, those are the, those were the ordinary things we did without even realizing, you know, most of the time pre pandemic, you didn't think, Ooh, I need to go do some self care stuff. You just lived your life. And as part of that, you did dinner with friends and family. You, you went out and you were in the community. Well, when we started hunkering down, we cut all of that out. And so we really did have to be more conscientious about how we manage our stress and anxiety and how we take care of ourselves. You can't just go to a concert or dinner because those things did, you know, weren't available. So when that happened, our stress just continued to rise and we tried to do more with less. And then we get to this callous place. And I'm sure that if you've ever been in a job and been too stressed out, you get to a point where you just start to say to yourself, you know what? I don't care what happens. I'm just going to do what I do. And if they don't like it, they'll just fire me. Well, that's a pretty callous place. You, you're starting to build this kind of crusty exterior. And then that leads you to sort of what they call this, what we call the zombie phase, where you're just walking around, going through the motions and you have no feeling whatsoever. And then, and, and you're, that's sort of the crispy side of burnout. Um, and so that's sort of what burnout looks like. Um, and, and the reason I would say that it's doubled and I sort of have sort of answered that in, in part of my last question as well. We just didn't have the normal, ordinary ways that we fight back stress. We don't know that's what we're doing, but essentially that's what's happening. And so the more we fight back stress, um, the less that happens. And so during the pandemic, those things weren't there and it just continued to rise and, and we sort of got crispier and crispier. And so it's led to this extreme burnout. Mm. Yeah, no, that's that's something else. And uh, so going down through these statistics again, I'm going to skip down a few sections here. Um, you have a section on statistics on employer mental health support and wellness programs. And you cite some uh, numbers from from Peldon Rose. And uh, I think this one is great and, and is a good reason why uh, listeners should reach out to, to y'all and what you do. Says seventy-two percent of employees want employers to champion mental health and well-being, but sixty-three percent think their workplace is unhelpful. And uh, man, if that doesn't just sum up why why businesses like yours should be, uh, you know, having to to beat customers off with a stick, I don't know what does. Uh, because you know, I mean, it, it's it's such a close kind of dichotomy there, right? Seventy-two percent want employers to champion mental health, but 63% think their workplace is unhelpful. So, uh, you know, how easy is it for, for uh, an organization to really kind of just reach out and, and get something in place? 
extraordinarily easy, um, Earl. I, I think part of it just begins with this acknowledgement that mental health exists. And so what we find is, you know, I'm sure 75 years ago or, you know, in the early 1900s when Ford started his assembly line, you know, we didn't even think about health insurance or time off. And then those things just became, you know, kind of the hallmarks of good business. You you give your people, you know, paid days off and you provide some sort of health insurance benefit. Um, and so I think those are just foregone conclusions now, right? You start a business. If your business is large enough, you're going to have to do that. Well, we're now at this place where mental health is equally as important as physical health. And I think more and more people realize the importance of good mental health because it has an effect. And so as a company, most companies haven't potentially caught up with that idea of mental health wellness and mental health wellness programs are sort of a foregone conclusion. Um, the pandemic just really threw a spotlight on this idea that companies have to do more. And, and, it, and I think what ends up happening too is Companies may be providing benefits like an employee assistance program. Well, those are sort of the deep end services. It's sort of like only providing a, a physical health plan that just covers hospitalization. Well, we know more, we know more now than ever that if we provide an employee with a physical uh, once a year and give them good preventative physical health care, you know, we ward off them getting to that hospital side, you know, hopefully ever as, as an employee. Um, same thing is true of mental health. If we do more on the preventive and early interventive stage, if we just teach people how to manage everyday stress and anxiety or conflict in the workplace, if we can give them the skills for that, then they won't need to go to the EAP and see a counselor one-on-one. -on -one. Some people do, and I so, so, you know totally recommend that. There's no harm in having a a conversation. But if we can teach them on the front end, then it shows that the, the company values their employees and really wants them to be the best they can be. So by bringing in a Pathways at Work, we can come in, help you structure these, these uh, training programs and, and customize them so that we're using your language. We're teaching your team how to manage their stress and anxiety. One of the things we say a lot to, to our clients is, you know, we have to teach different interventions. I can't teach a cop closed eye breathing and tell him to park his patrol car in a parking lot and spend 15 minutes closed eye breathing because um, that will probably make the front page next week. But right. there are other ways I can teach him. And community-oriented policing is one of them. Get out and walk around. Get out and meet some people. And that will help you manage your stress and anxiety. But I can teach people in an office-based setting how to, how to manage their stress. Uh, maybe doing some closed-eye breathing or the box breathing, as, as, you, as you mentioned. Or I love to teach hand breathing where you trace your fingers. You go up a finger, you, you breathe in. You come down a finger, you breathe out. Um, all of those kind of things. We can customize these programs. To, to reach your employees and begin that process of helping them see that the company values uh, mental wellness in the workplace. Yeah, no, again, I love that. But I think you just really touched on something there that I, I don't want my listeners uh, to really miss, right? Is, is because one thing that always drives me crazy is when, when we know how valuable something is, but when we see somebody doing it, we get upset. And, and you mentioned the, the cop and the closed eye breathing, right? For, for me, I would love to get to a point where society understands what's going on and why that cop is doing that. And it won't become an issue when they see the cop pull over and do the closed eye breathing or, or, or take that, that little mental break. So when they get into these co uh, high conflict type situations, they have a much more uh, mental clarity in that situation, they're less likely to make 
the bad decision because they took that time and they didn't have to worry about the public, you know, reporting them to their supervisor. And on top of that, even if the public did report them to the supervisor, the supervisor says, okay, thank you. I know what's going on. This is not a big deal. And and I guess the point I'm trying to bring here is, is we know that these things are important, but we have to start looking at this thing as a societal issue where when we see somebody taking care of their mental health, we don't just say, oh, there's a lazy uh, government employee. We say, hey, that's cool. Take care of your mental health. That's that's totally right. I, I do think, uh, as you mentioned, the military um, and, and and our first responders, certainly I, I'm very grateful to, to both, um, certainly during the pandemic, as they had to continue to, to go out on the front lines and and, and put themselves in harm's way um, during during the midst of the pandemic. Um, so certainly very appreciative of them. But but I think that they're they're sort of on the front lines of this. The military takes very seriously about veteran mental health, uh, has lots of programs in place, lots of suicide prevention programs programs in place, as we talked about. I'm sure there's always more we could do and 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 there's more that could be provided. But they certainly, you know, from my experience, they certainly take that seriously. And and I think it's certainly time that the rest of, of kind of the community catches up in some ways and businesses start to see this as, as a great opportunity. If if not, you know, even if you don't look at the benevolent side of this and say that I want to do this because it's the right thing to do by my employees, there's also, you know, a, a cost here. If your people take less days off to manage their mental health away from work, um, that benefits you as an employer. If they come ready to work, they're more productive for you as an employee, and that benefits you. So there's also sort of a bottom bottom line equation here as well. Um, certainly, I'd love for people just to do it because it's the right thing to do. But there's also some bottom line ideas as well. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Well, Dustin, we've been chatting here for a little over 45 minutes and man, time has flown and this has just been every bit as enjoyable of a conversation as I thought it was going to be. Um, I, and we're going to have some links uh, to, to a couple articles here in the show notes. Uh, but I'm just kind of curious before we wrap up here, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you really do want to leave listeners with before we go? I mentioned it to some extent, but but a lot of what we do involves um, supervisors and leaders in the workplace, you know, and it's super easy to get leadership involved and get supervisors involved with helping their employees. It just starts with asking a question. You know, the truth is, Earl, and thank you so much for inviting us on. It's been great to, to chat with a, with a fellow Tennessean. Um, but in the workplace, one of the things we realize is we're, we work with our coworkers. Uh, we spend more awake hours with them than we do with the people we choose to go home to at night. We're, we're with our coworkers more than our spouses and our loved ones. And so the thing is, as a supervisor, you recognize when someone is not themselves. When this guy's usually five minutes early to everything, he's always on point and always, you know, uh, ahead of the game. And then for the last two or three days, he's just come in late. He's not himself and he's not as talkative then that's time for that supervisor to go to that employee and say, hey, man, is everything OK? And, you know, more than likely he's going to give the platitude of, yeah, now I'm fine. And then when you say, well, I've noticed the last couple of days you've just not been yourself because of X, Y and Z. Are you sure, you know, there's not something I can help you with? That's all it takes, Earl. That It's as simple as that. And then we can teach you what the company resources are and where you can help that employee if they need something more than just a conversation or just a, a venting session. Um, it, it's just it's just that easy. And sometimes people get 
they work themselves up to think, I don't know what to say. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Um, but I guarantee you, if you, if you get up the nerve to just go and ask that question, you won't, your, your body won't let you say the wrong thing. Um, and so it's simply that easy to, to really take care of your team, uh, in lots of ways. And, and if pathways at work can come help you and help, help teach your employees these types of skills, We'd love to be of assistance. We love getting to do this work. So again, thank you, Earl, for having us on today. It's it's been a pleasure. Oh, it is. It has been a, my pleasure very much, and and I've I've enjoyed it. And that last piece there reminds me of, and I love the way Dr. Brene Brown put it. Uh, she said, "You know, uh, your people give a damn if you give a damn," and and I think that's it. And and so like assuming that we have leaders here, and and I make that assumption very boldly because I know that we do. And they want to reach out and, and work with you and bring you in because they do care about their people and they want to show them that they care. Uh, what are some good ways for them to reach out to you and, and Pathways at Work to, to get programs uh, in place? The easiest is our website at www.pathwaysatwork.com. We're on we're on um, we're on the World Wide Web and you can go there. We actually have lots of tools. You mentioned our blog where they could read more. We also have a mental health um, calculator where they can go and see the impact of what their employees might be dealing with based on how many employees they have in their industry. We um, can estimate how many people might be dealing with suicide, how many might be depressed. Uh, how, you know, how many others might have a, a different mental health issue, then go all to our website and get that kind of information. And it's pathwaysatwork.com. Love it. We'll definitely get that in the show notes. And I want to just give uh, you listeners one more word of caution. If you make the leap and make the commitment to bring uh, to bring Dr. Keller and his folks in and you get those programs in place, this isn't something that you can just say, hey, we're going to provide this and we expect you to attend. You got to be a responsible leader and show up and put in the work yourself and show people, show people that this means something serious to your organization. So make sure that you're making that commitment to be a part of this process. It's important to do that. Um, all right. Well, Dr. Keller, look, I love it. Dustin, I really appreciate everything that we had and we talked about today. I really, really have loved this conversation. Thank you for having it with me and my listeners. Yeah, thank you for having us on. It's been great. And um, we, we look forward to working with you, listeners. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast Networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. 
Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Electric acid.